Amen. Hi. Man, God is good. Um, <clears throat> hey, so uh, we are in Ephesians. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. We are uh, finishing up the second half of chapter 4, verse 17. There's Bibles under the seats if you want to grab that, if you've got your iPhone, or we're just going to throw them up on the screen if that's easier. Uh, I think the version we're actually going to put up on the screen, just so y'all know, is uh, the NIV translation, if that, if that causes anyone to get really angry. Sorry about it, but that's, uh, that's the version we got up there. Um, so where we're going tonight is uh, what we're going to see is we are going to see um, Paul, the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul, in the first three chapters, really sets for us what our identity is in Christ. He really lays this foundation of we are broken, lost people, uh, we are far from him, and yet, but God redeems us. Not we redeemed ourselves, but God then finds us where we shouldn't be, where we don't belong, and he brings us into uh, his, his kingdom and into his family and into his uh, saving grace. And so we get this identity really laid out for three whole chapters. And then chapter four, what we saw uh, even last week as, as Josh unpacked chapter four, the beginning of chapter four, uh, we start seeing real implications. And we start seeing what it looks like to now live out that identity. And so I want us to understand that in the context because what you're walking into tonight is a, is a sermon, it's a passage written for Christians, written for people who have already heard three chapters of the gospel and three chapters of the grace of God, and now it's a response to, okay, so the grace of God has come and saved you and changed your life, and now here's what your life should look like. Uh, in some people's Bibles even, I think in some of the Bibles, at this little, the little heading for this section will say um, uh, instructions for Christian living. I think that's a really good definition and uh, almost title of where we're going tonight. This is really these instructions for Christian living, and we're going to dive into kind of that identity. Um, Something I, I thought of uh, last night, I'm putting Charlie, my son, my four-year-old son, to bed, and we're in the bathroom getting ready for bed. It's always a little bit of a struggle of who puts Charlie to bed. Miles is my one-year-old, and he doesn't care as long as that person has the bottle, right? So he doesn't really, doesn't matter who's holding him just as long as they have the bottle. But Charlie's four, he's very opinionated about that. It's 90% of the time he would prefer his mom which I'm fine with right now, right? Like one day he's gonna be just the guy's guy, right? And mom's gonna be the other than. But, but right now he's still, he's still very much a, a mama's boy. And so he really usually picks, picks Danielle, my wife, um, except that it's exhausting. And so I try to do it as much as possible because Danielle would love to just be done and be able to just go sit on the couch or read or whatever. Uh, and so we had talked Charlie into it last night. Hey, I'm gonna put you to bed tonight. And I always give him like an extra couple of stories. And also... Danielle's not here tonight. Look, my stories are way better than hers. <laughs> like, I intentionally tell, and she admits it. She, she intentionally tells our son really boring stories. Like, really boring goodnight stories. Like, yeah, so there was a balloon, and it floated in the sky, and it popped, and it fell in the ocean, and a turtle choked. You know, like, <laughs> that's her story. And my stories have, like, dragons and lava and superpowers and transformers and all kinds of elaborate stuff. And I always really embellish. And still, he's like, ah, I'm going to go with mom. But last night, we convinced him he was going to let me put him down. So I, we were in the bathroom. He was, he was peeing, and I was brushing my teeth. And, uh, and, and we were kind of talking. And it's starting to sink in as he's peeing that, like, wait, I don't know that I want mom. To, I don't know that I want dad to put me down. I think I want mom. And so he's like, 
Uh, and so it's just making that noise. And I kind of know that, oh, no, we're losing him. We're losing him. Uh, and so I'm like, what's up, bud? And, uh, and I kind of finish up brushing my teeth. And he said, I want, I want mama to put me down. I want, I want, and he starts kind of almost panicking, like, no, 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 no. I've made a huge mistake. I've made a big mistake. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want dad. I want mom to put me down. Please, oh, gosh, please. You know, and so he's like, no, no, I want mama. And, and so I just sit on the this edge of the bathtub. And I was like, well, what's, what's up, man? He's like, I don't, I don't want you to put me down. I said, well, buddy, why, why? Why don't you want me to put you down? And no joke, this is what he said. He said, because mama's more beautiful than you. <laughs> That's what he said. To which all I could say is amen. She's absolutely more beautiful than I am. And so I like hugged him. And then about that time, Danielle came into the bathroom and we laughed about it. And he was like, you're more beautiful. And I still put him down, uh, which he wasn't happy about. <laughs> but he's right, right? And, and here's the thing that I think this text is going to lead us to, um, man, do I see, do I see Jesus as beautiful, right? Do I see Jesus as more beautiful than the alternative? And I look at my life sometimes and I, and obviously from this stage, and if I'm to ask you that question, if you're a Christian or whatever, if you're in this room, you probably know the right Christian answer is, of course, Jesus is more beautiful than anything the world can offer. But I look at my life and I think, man, some of the decisions I make don't reveal that. I don't, I don't act in a way that the Christian living in my life doesn't necessarily testify to this draw towards Jesus being more beautiful than everything else. And I see that, and I see that in this text too. And so I want us to keep that in the forefront of our mind as we're reading this. And, and honestly, guys, as you guys hopefully are prayerfully hearing what's gonna be preached, prayerfully hearing Ephesians and saying, Lord, teach me. Teach me, show me, give me your heart, show me what is true, these lyrics we sing, these prayers we ask for. And then you would say, Lord, show me how I can see you more beautiful. Because the question we're gonna ask at the beginning, at the end of tonight is, is he worth it? Is he beautiful enough to chase after with our lives? Is he beautiful enough? Is he worth it? Is he worth the surrender that he is asking for in your life? We're not gonna sugarcoat the gospel. We're not gonna turn the gospel into a prayer you repeat once and then you're good for the rest of your life. We're gonna look at the gospel the way the New Testament looks at the gospel, which is a surrender of your life. It's the grace of God overcoming all of your sin and then our act of surrender and faith to say, yes, I submit my life. I die to myself and I surrender my life to Christ. That's the act of faith. It's not repeating a prayer. It's not having an emotional worship service and, and making an emotional decision. It's a surrender of our life. And, and when that happens, we get sealed by the Holy Spirit and it's just an amazing thing. So is it worth it? And is it worth it to continue to chase after Jesus with, with all that the world has to offer, with all that our old self we're gonna see has to offer? So let's get into it. Paul gives us commands. Jesus gives us commands through Paul. Right? He calls us to submit our lives to follow. So is it worth it? Is he worth it? Verse 17 in chapter four is where I'm gonna pick up and it'll be up here on the screen. <clears throat> So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, or if you've got the ESV, it says callous, right? Your hearts are callous. Their, their hearts are callous. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. <clears throat> We're going to stop right there. Doesn't get a whole lot clearer than this. 
Uh, it, it really doesn't get a whole lot clearer than this, guys. We are no longer, the command that, that the Lord puts before us is he says, hey, you're following me, right? You, we've got three chapters of I have chosen you, I've called you, I've redeemed you, I have done the work, God has done the work, I've brought you into my family, and now as a response to that, I am calling you to no longer live as the Gentiles live, right? So who's he, who's he talking to? He's definitely talking to Christ followers, right? He's talking to people who say, man, yes, I'm a Christian. And he's saying, hey, as the church, as a bunch of believers who profess Jesus Christ, no longer live like the Gentiles. The Gentiles were everything other than those who were worshiping Jesus as their savior, and so the Gentiles represented this group of people that were worshiping whatever they wanted to worship, right? They ultimately, I'd make the argument, they were worshiping themselves, right? They were worshiping whatever it took to be able to gratify um, whatever they wanted in their life. And so this world around them, this, this pagan world and this culture that they were living in, he says, hey, that's no, longer, that's no longer for you. You cannot continue to live like they live. He draws a line in the sand and he says, hey, I'm calling you to be set apart. I'm calling you to look different than they do. Don't live like the rest of the world. And yet, as believers, we compromise that constantly. Man, in my life, as a, as a pastor, I constantly find myself wandering back into living where I to be my own God, to where I'm not submitting to what God wants, which we're gonna unpack here a little bit more, but instead I get to live the life that I wanna live and I get to indulge the flesh that I wanna indulge and we chase after those things. It's a part of our condition. It's a part of our default. We drift that way. Let me, uh, let me keep reading because he kind of creates this contrast now between that way and, and what he's calling us to and reminding them uh, what they learned. He says, but, he says that however, is not the way of life you learned. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. This is big, guys. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's what we've got tonight. Tonight's going to be, a, honestly, a pretty simple sermon to preach. Uh, simple, short, sweet. Infinitely harder for me to apply and for us to apply. So I'm going to do my best to get out of the way, preach what the Word of God says, and beg for the Holy Spirit to, to change us. But we have a choice, right? There's this dichotomy now that we see in Ephesians 4 between the two lives we can have, the old self Right, the old self it talks about or this new self that it talks about. And let me, let me say something about the old self and let me say something about uh, the Gentiles and the world that Christians are no longer to live as. We don't get to judge that world. So I just want to make that observation because I think that's really important. Because unfortunately, I think one of the things that happens when sometimes we hear passages like this is we think, yeah, man, I'm not supposed to live like those sinners, and what we do is we start pointing fingers, and what happens is there's this kind of self-righteous holy huddle where we then look at the world or we look at the, what would be represented here in Ephesians as the Gentiles, those who don't worship Christ, who aren't submitted to Christ, and are, are, are out there, outsiders of that, and we judge them. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what Jesus did. I, I think Josh even alluded to the story in, in where uh, Jesus, who was amazing at living a holy life set apart, he was perfect, actually, at living this holy life set apart, and yet also amazing in how he interacted 
with brokenness around him, with people who had wandered off, who, who didn't obey his father's commandments. In fact, the people who he butted heads with, Jesus, were the religious, were the religious self-righteous people. And, and there's a story, um, and I think he alluded to it last week, where uh, this woman who's caught in adultery, right, gets dragged before Jesus. If you remember the story, if you've heard the story, dragged before Jesus. And all these religious guys who want to judge her and judge her sin, they've got stones and they're going to stone her to death. Our savior, our model, our example, he, he stands before this woman who is caught cheating on her husband with another man who's married and drags before Christ. And Christ looks at her and has this compassion and he protects this woman. And he says, he who's without the first stone can cast, who, who, who is without sin can cast the first stone. It's this beautiful picture and everyone drops their rocks and they walk away. And he bends down to this woman who, man, would have been so ashamed and so embarrassed and, and so fearful too of this religious judgment coming down on her. And he says, man, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you ever either. And then he says something really important, though, and he says, go and sin no more. Because our God takes sin seriously. And if you're in here and you're in sin and you're living in sin and your Holy Spirit's identifying sin in your life or you just know, man, maybe you came in here tonight because you've just been in a weary, dry place and you know you're missing something. You know you're missing something and you know the life that you are living is not is not producing the kind of life that you feel like maybe you should be having, the, the way that you are designed to have, and you are recognizing, whether you recognize it in verbiage or not, that there's this sin in your life that's separating you from the designer of your life, the God of your life, the Father who desires this relationship with you. Not a religion, but a relationship with God, and you've got this sin in your life. And He takes that so seriously, serious enough to die on a cross so that it could be paid for, so that we might through the grace of God, be able to have a relationship with God. <clears throat> but he doesn't, he, he tells these religious leaders they, they can't judge. Uh, we are called not to judge the world. Um, we see that several times in the New Testament. In fact, verse 25, we'll throw it up on the screen, we're actually called to judge each other. We're called to challenge each other, speak truth into each other's life. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And this is a reference to, hey, hey, stop living that way. Stop living that way. Remember how, who you were saved to be. Remember the life you've been called to, the new self. Put off the old self, put on the new self, and then walk in that truthfulness and call out each other in the members of the body of Christ. That's what we're called to speak truth into. That's what we're called to wrestle. The brothers in my life to be able to identify sin in me and say, hey man, I see something in you that is gonna rob you of joy. It's going to rob you of, of life abundantly the way God's designed it to happen, man. And I, I love you enough to call you out in it. We should be in those relationships. If you don't have relationships in your life where people know you and know what you struggle with, then you're missing out on the design of the church. You should be in those kind of relationships. And if you find yourself, when, when you're in those relationships, being like, oh, man, this guy or this girl knows a little bit too much about me. I'm going to isolate myself. Man, that... That should be a red flag. We are called to be in community. We're called to have this mind to then speak truthfully to neighbors for all members of one body, it says. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> um, we're called to have a new identity. Right? We're called to have this new identity. And if you are in Christ, then what's happened is you have surrendered your life 
to King Jesus. You've said, my life is no longer my own and I've surrendered to King Jesus because what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago was this death, burial, and resurrection of God in flesh. And you've identified that and you've said, yes, that's the only hope I have for a relationship through Christ with, with God the Father. And so you've walked into that relationship and you're in Christ, so now we have this new identity. The war is over if we're in Christ. The war is over and yet, and yet so often we still are bunkered down in fear, living in the old self. Um, so often when I hear this concept, biblically, uh, you'll hear a pastor, or I certainly have heard pastors, talk about the Japanese soldiers after World War II. If you've ever heard this illustration, uh, it's really interesting. After World War II, Japan surrendered um, to the Allies in 1945. And yet, you had up to, there were some documented cases in the 80s of Japanese soldiers still alive, bunkered down in remote islands that still believed they were at war. They still believed Japan was at war. But a lot of people in the 50s got captured. There were still battles that raged in the 50s. Even the Japanese police would have to go into islands and say, hey, we're not at war anymore. We're surrendered. We're cool. Actually, America, we're great now. Like, we're great. We got, like, we're, we're doing really swell now. But instead, they're getting, they're getting bullet fire Japanese police officers are because they just don't believe that the war could be over. They don't believe that Japan could have surrendered. They don't believe that we're at peace. And so you had all these documented sto stories of, of these, uh, these platoons bunkered down and, uh, and continuing to fight and fight and fight. And um, man, I, I think that's such a picture of us. We're free. If you're in Christ, you're free. You have a new self, we have a new identity but we're imposters by default, and we're chameleons by default. And so what happens is we, is we live as the world does, right? What happens is we, we know we have freedom. We know, we know no longer do I have to be afraid of man's judgment of me, what man's approval is in my life. I don't have to worry about man's approval because my heavenly Father, the creator of all things, says, Ben, you're enough. You're enough because of what I say about you. I'm like, but I'm an idiot, and I'm a goof, and, and he's like, yeah, I know, but I love you, and you're enough. And it, but no, I need to work, I need to strive, I need to do all these things to impress all these people so that I can get their adoration, or I, 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 need, to, I need to fake it and put on a mask so that these people don't find this out about me so they won't stop liking it. Hey, what I say is enough. And yet we wander back into these games, our, our sin, our fear of man, our, our, our desire for approval, but also these patterns of sin we get stuck in. Man, whatever that is in your life, whether that's lust, whether that's pornography, whether that's, whether that's an, an eating disorder, that, man, you just can't quite shake. And you hear a verse that says, wait, okay, so I have a new self now, but I keep wearing this old self-identity. And, and I have a, such a hard time seeing myself free from that and walking in this new identity, and I keep getting drawn back to this. And that's just a symptom of this heart issue of our sin. This heart issue of our lack of identity, of knowing, knowing what, how he values us, knowing how he sees us. Maybe that's alcohol, maybe that's drugs, maybe you're a workaholic, right? Because success is so important to be able to conquer so that people will give you the affirmation that you feel like you're missing. The effects of that, the effects of that it says here in this passage, it talks about... Uh, having lost sensitivity, and, and I mentioned the ESV. I, I like that translation better. It says, calloused hearts. 
right? We, they've become hardened in their hearts and callous. And, and I see that in my own life at times when I wander into sin and disobedience and my heart gets callous and I worship and it's just music and, I, and I'm talking to the Lord and it's just a wall that I'm talking to and, and we get these callous, hard hearts and it just becomes this cycle and it becomes this constant effect. And the cause of those things the cause of those things, at least two of the main key causes that we see in Scripture, are, are our entitlement and our fear. There are entitlement and our fear. Our fear of, our fear of loneliness. Right? Our fear of loneliness, and so it drives us to do things that just look like the rest of the world. I'm going to compromise. I'm not going to look set apart with this new identity. No, no, I'm going to look like the rest of the world because I don't want to miss out on having a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And so we compromise and we look like the rest of the world or we just choose to look like the rest of the world. Sometimes and other times we put on the Christian mask and we, and we wear this chameleon lifestyle that's exhausting. Fear of loneliness, fear of missing out, right? Fear of just missing out on life and so we don't wanna get left behind and so we'll take on whatever identity we need to to be able to fit in. Fear of not being accepted or, or this entitlement that I deserve comfort, I deserve success, I deserve this gratification, so, man, I worked hard. I deserve this. I, choose, I see the world around me indulging in these things. I'm going to indulge too. It produces callous hearts. And where does that leave us, right? It leaves us empty. It leaves us empty because those who are in this room who have gone down those roads or who are at those roads or are at those places tonight, you know, you know, man, this is not, this is not fulfilling, and maybe you're here tonight and you've heard that a hundred times, right? Because you do the church thing a lot and you hear this a lot. Man, would, would you beg for tonight the Holy Spirit to say, God, I hear the new identity, put off the old, put on the new. God, make me believe, make me believe that you are worth it, that my surrender is worth it. Um, what's the solution? Let me, let me talk about the solution real quickly and then I got some key application points, and then we're really gonna apply this by just responding in, in prayer and worship, hopefully. Uh, hopefully genuinely. Solution. Renewed minds. It says it right there in, uh, in 24 and 25, oh no, excuse me, in verse, in verse 23. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Right, we see this concept all, really all throughout Paul's writings in the New Testament, this idea that, hey, this callous, hardened heart, it begins in this battlefield of the mind. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying the same thing to the Romans. He's saying, hey, don't be conformed. Be transformed. Don't be the old self. Be the new self by the renewing of your mind. And so if we are here again at this place where we are tired of our sin, we're tired of the ways that Lord willing, the Holy Spirit is bringing things to your attention and convicting you of ways that's like, man, I don't, I don't like this part of me. I, grow, I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be this person. As the Lord's bringing that, you say, okay, what does it look like to have a renewed mind? What's it look like? It looks like, it looks like drowning our mind in truth. The, the amount of time that I spend intaking into my mind things that are not true Right, things that I just justify watching or reading because it's entertainment. And I can just veg out on spending so much of my time in taking lies about what is not beautiful, what is not more beautiful than Jesus. But I saturate my mind with it, and then I wonder, well, man, why am I not more sensitive to the Spirit? Why do I not find Jesus more beautiful? Because I spent the majority of my attention span 
on my smartphone or on my computer or on my TV or on the radio or in conversations that aren't glorifying to him, that aren't making him beautiful. So we, we take ourselves and we say, man, how much do I really want that new self? You fight for it. You say, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to put aside those things. I'm going to put aside those things. And I'm going to walk out this radical obedience that we're called to. Maybe that means a fast in your life. Right? Maybe that means really withdrawing from some things. Maybe that means really fasting from, maybe it means fasting from meals and saying, Lord, I'm going to really uh, step away and, and fast because I, I really want you to continue to renew this mind and change it. Or fasting from social media or fasting from whatever it is that you feel like, man, I am flooding myself with this. And then I'm confused about why I'm, why I'm so hard-hearted. I'm confused where these calluses are coming from. Man, we spend time in community, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in worship. We talk about it all the time. You get around more community that um, are believers that are gonna speak truth into your life. Man, that's what it, that's what it looks like. Those are some of the steps towards a renewed mind. Um, here's what I wanna do now. Uh, I wanna talk through four categories briefly. And these are four categories that I think are gonna cover just about everyone in the room. Because one of the problems we have uh, is we're chameleons, right? We kind of alluded to this idea that we just kind of put on different, different shells and we, we, we kind of get lost in this, this almost schizophrenic personality. And so um, for the sake of illustration, I'm gonna have four spots on the stage here. So this is category four person, all right? Category four person loves Jesus. They love Jesus and they are submitted to him and they have a renewed mind. And this is the person that's like, man, I, I want more of that. And this is, this is maybe you tonight. And so what happens to the category four person is, man, they love the Lord, they're submitted to him, they're walking in their new self-identity, but also they know that tomorrow morning is gonna be a battle again because you're gonna drift. And so they're, they're fighting that. Category three person, category three person is the, the person who's a believer, they're saved, they, they're a new creation in Christ, they've, they've been saved, they're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but their life doesn't look like it. Their life looks like the rest of the world. Right? They, they, they look, they act, at least in seasons of their life or in times or in certain weekends or in certain periods of time, they just shift on to that. And so really, they, they're saved, but man, they don't look like it. And they're functioning in very much a worldly way. And you've got category two people. Category two people don't, aren't indwelled with the Holy Spirit. They're not saved. Um, we talked about what that looks like. It's this act of surrendering your life to Christ. And they've never done that before. They've never put their faith in Christ. But here's the thing about category two people. Category two people think they're saved. Right? Category two people are, are those who would say, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm totally a believer. They've maybe had emotional experiences in their life. Uh, they're going through their life. They know the Christian thing. Maybe they grew up in the church their whole life. Um, they know a lot of the right Bible answers and all those things, but they've never actually surrendered their life to Christ. They've never actually truly put their saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, they're going through life and, and they think they're saved, but they're not. And sometimes they're being very religious and they're looking like the category three person and sometimes they're not. Okay, and then you got category one people. And these are my favorite people. Uh, these are people who, man, they're not there yet. They're not pretending to be there. I don't think they're there. I think they're some of the most thoughtful people in our culture. I think they're some of the best leaders in our culture. And I think they make some of the greatest followers of Christ in their life when God gets a hold of them. If you in this room are a category one person, then I'm probably not allowed to say this, but you're my favorite person in the room, not to piss off everybody else. Um, because I think God has you here for a reason. Right? I think God has you here for a reason. 
Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you in just a second, but I, I want to I talk about two and three real quickly. The difference between not really looking set apart and then as far as two and three, the difference on the outside is really nothing, right? And that's what's so scary about the difference between somebody who's in category three in their life who's saved, but their life doesn't really reflect the things of Christ. They're not set apart. They're not living this new self. And the category two person who, yeah, their life looks the exact same, but they're not saved. That's really, really dangerous. That's such a dangerous place to be. Because you're living a life that, that isn't producing fruit and it isn't bearing fruit and, and you're not walking in the identity that's been purchased for you. And so that should, that should produce about a, a holy fear that says, Lord, what do I need to do to surrender? What does that look like? What does it look like to have more of a radical surrender? And here's one of the things that happens that drives me crazy about, about my, and this is me, man. I find myself in, in this camp all the time where, yes, I'm saved and I put my faith in Christ, but why does my life not reflect it so often? The thing that, that makes me so mad about that is because the testimony it is for everyone else in our world. Because there's a really good reason category one people are category one. They're very thoughtful. Maybe they didn't grow up with a family that constantly preached the gospel at them and kind of indoctrinated them at a young age. And so they're maybe even more thoughtful than we are in some ways. Like I'm a kid that grew up in the church, was told all the right answers, kind of indoctrinated at a young age. And then I had to realize through all of the information what a relationship with Christ really was that I wasn't signing up for a religion, I was signing up for a relationship, and that's when things really changed in my life. The category one people see the inconsistency, they, they see the inconsistency in our life, and the world around us, those who don't know Jesus, look at the inconsistency in our life, and they think, yeah, right. Why would I want that? That's just a bunch of hypocrisy. Right? It's just a bunch of people who say they're Christians or show up to a Christian thing and they do their thing and they have their emotional experience and they feel better about themselves, but then they live the same life I'm living over here. I don't need that emotional crutch. There's not a contrast between our world because what they're seeing, what the world around us is seeing is people that are just indulging in the same things and finding emptiness in the same spots because we keep going back to those, those empty wells that we keep talking about. So what we do, what we do is we repent. What we do is we change. What we do is we don't hear this sermon again and don't apply it. We don't hear the identity talk again without leaving and saying, God, change me. Holy Spirit, don't leave me as I am. And then we fight for it. And we grab other people in our life and we say, man, I need to confess some stuff. Man, I got some stuff that I'm hiding. I got, but I fear and love God more, and he is worth it. He's worth it for me to bring all my junk, and you might not like it and accept it, and you might be shocked by me, but I'm going to do it because he's worth it, and holding this stuff in the dark isn't going to produce anything. And we bring that into the light, and we put ourselves, and we fight to put ourselves in a place where we have a renewed mind. And we start reading scripture and we start listening to sermons and listening to worship and surrounding ourselves with other believers, not to indoctrinate us, but to help remind us of the truth that we have, the identity that we have, the freedom that we have, that the war is over. And so we walk in that victory. We walk in that victory and we surround ourselves with other believers and we repent. And then these guys who maybe, maybe are in here tonight and they say, man, I don't know. My life hasn't, it, it kind of looks like the rest. I mean, with the exception of I come to some Christian things, and I would definitely check the box that I'm a Christian, but then we say, man, have, have we surrendered our life? Have you surrendered your life to King Jesus? Have you acknowledged that, Jesus, you are my king. I'm gonna submit my life to you. Do that tonight. Do that tonight. 
and for all my friends and my community and the people I love in this category, first, I gotta say, I'm so sorry for my own hypocrisy. I'm so sorry if I have been a stumbling block to you or my family has been a stumbling block to you because as you've been going through your life, and maybe it's that you didn't grow up in a Christian home or maybe you did grow up in a Christian home and you saw an abuse of who God was and you saw God as a beating and you saw God as a tyrant and a rule follower or you saw Christian parents who did not represent that, I'm sorry. That is not who Christ is. That's not what he set people free for. And if you are here tonight or you're listening to this on a podcast, then man, would you be able to step into that and say, okay, I'm gonna give this God a chance because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God loves you. The God of the universe loves you. That's not trite church talk. The God of the universe loves you and has said, man, I want that person as my son, as my daughter. They're far from me. They're confused. They've got great doubts, great arguments, great anger. Whatever it is, I can handle it. And he said, I want that person, and I think he's going to get you. I want him to get you because I think a surrendered life to him is better than anything else you'll chase in your life. I guarantee you it's better than religion. I I don't want you to step into religion. I want you to step into a surrendered life to the God of the universe and walk with us in that. A bunch of broken people who keep drifting back into being idiots, but a good, faithful God who's gonna change your life. Is he worth it? And I don't mean, is he worth it so that we can earn the credits to get him? He's already done the work. He already did the work to bring you to him. No matter how far you have wandered from God, he has already done the work. Our role is to surrender. Is he worth it? My hope and my prayer is that, is that you're not hearing the gospel is all flashy and shiny, but my hope and my prayer is that you are asking that question, is he worth it? Father, are you worth it? And you look at your life and you say, man, how am I spending my life? Are you beautiful enough where I'm attracted to you? Or am I choosing these other things? And you start answering that question as, as I think the Holy Spirit is gonna start saying to you tonight, am I worth it? Am I worth it? Daughter, am I worth it? Son, am I worth it? Am I worth walking away from those things that that I've called you out of? Am I worth leaving behind some of those things that are really hard to leave? Am I worth confessing some of those things, confessing some of those things that are really scary to confess? Am I worth following and surrendering and giving your life? Am I worth it? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit in you answers that question over and over and over again tonight and says, yes, 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 and then your action matches it. Let me pray over you, and then let's respond and continue to apply this in worship and prayer. Father, um, you are worth it. Uh, We know that to be true. We know that to be true, but Lord, would you make our hearts believe that that's true? Um, God, we want you, Lord. We've been given this new self Our old self is gone. But are we walking in it? And God, reveal to us the ways that we're not. God, give us the kind of maturity and the kind of sensitivity that everyone in this room, tonight, you'd start revealing some things that no one could leave here being like, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm a new creation, I'm I'm a new self, I'm walking in it. But instead, God, give us all a depth of understanding that. Show us, yeah, you're walking in your new self here, but but compassionately, show us those other areas. God, we want to look like you. 
We want to bring you glory. God, I, I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they're at, if they're just walking in Shekinah glory and love and life and submitted, Father, I pray that they would continue. I pray they would continue and tonight would be just sweet honey in their ears and just water to their soul as they're reminded how important it is to stay surrendered and to walk in that new identity and that tomorrow morning you'd give them the strength to continue to fight. And Lord, if it's those who are saved, but Lord, we're just playing in the shallow end, God, help us walk out of that. And those who maybe thought they were saved and weren't, thought, well, I had some emotional experiences and I definitely have some Christian answers. And, but tonight they would say, no, I'm ready to surrender my life once and for all. Would you give them boldness, Lord? Give them boldness to grab me or another pastor, a leader around here and say, pray with me. Lay your hands on me. Pray with me. I desire to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and dwelled with him. And Father, for any friends who are in this room or maybe listening, who may be far from you and have great objections and great thoughts about maybe why they've stayed away from you, would you start breaking down some of those walls tonight? Would you start removing some of the hypocrisy of, of, of Christians who who just don't, don't always look like you and instead get face to face with those people and say, I have something for you. I can handle your doubt. I can handle your anger. I have something for you. And would you give them the faith to continue to follow after you? Give them boldness too to reach out to somebody and walk in community. Lord, would you ask us that question, are you worth it? And would we be able to answer it through your spirit's power, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, would we truly respond to the call that you are worth it? In the name of Jesus, amen.